What a wonderful thing it is, what we just did. And because I've got a meeting tonight where we'll minister and share down some other ways, I felt for these two services this morning that are back-to-back and uh, similar, just to share out of that which we've involved in. Because there's something very special that, about the family heart of God that comes together when eldership is placed in. Because the main role of eldership is that wonderful joy of fathering and providing a safe house for people to dwell. See, when Paul and the early church was getting underway and Paul was released into his ministry, the story is abundantly clear, isn't it, that he went from place to place, bringing the gospel of the kingdom out of which churches rose. And as churches began to rise out of them, he would set in elders, pretty well every time biblically, plural, and they were people to keep a, a, a safe house for people to dwell in. In his fivefold gifting as an apostolic man, they were very moving around in those days, much more obviously than some do today, although some of us do today as well. But, but they were, you know, many of them uh, today more stationary. In those days, traveling much more. And sometimes he was only in a place a few weeks, a few months. Uh, one or two times it went to a year or two, and, uh, but maximum just around that. And so when he left these new converts, he would set in elders. There was one time he came back two years later or a year later and set in the elders. But he'd always set in the elders because they were people that outside gifting and everything else that was going on, they provided a safe house for people to dwell and there's something, uh, you know, very special about that. So he put in, uh, in talking with one of his spiritual sons, he, uh, Timothy, and then again in Titus, he outlined some guidelines that he would look for and that Father would look for, I believe, in qualities in someone's life that they would have that would be that which would equip them to take this role in church life. Uh, a man I knew many years ago walked into a more organic church setting and uh, there was a group of about 40 or 50 people that are meeting for some time and he met with the men of that group in a whole circle and he, they were wanting elders in their midst and it was time to put elders in and he simply did it this way. He said there's a 25 men in this circle or whatever, gave them all a piece of paper and he said... I want you just all to write on this piece of paper. Who are the elders in your midst? Now, he asked him this question. If the wheels were coming off your life, who would you go to? 25 men. When they went round the whole circle, they got the papers, looked at them. Not every paper had the same name, there was only three names in the whole lot and he set them in as elders because obviously they were the ones that at least in that setting I wouldn't do it that way but that was a setting that releasing something that was already there in the heart because it's a safe house and when you go through those qualifications of an elder in the Bible, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of an elder, desires a good work, first a man must desire it. If he doesn't desire it, he can never be it because God gives us the desires of our heart in those ways. 
the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, good behaviour, hospitable, able to teach, etc. Um, you know, not violent and goes through, not over-greedy for money, uh, but can handle their finances and handle economic situations, but not, uh, it hasn't become their God. They can live blessed, but not ruled by it, etc. On it goes, taking care of his own household, not a novice, unless he be puffed up with pride, and through those areas. And so it was this wonderful picture, if you like, of this man or person coming into eldership they had these guidelines in their life at least or places they were growing in. I'm sure they're not all perfected in every area of that when they became elders. But they were taking on a character base. There was only one thing in that list of qualities for an elder that was gifting. And that was they had to be apt to teach. Didn't have to be fivefold teachers or something. But they had to be apt to teach to be able to keep the word in the hearts of the people. But everything else was to do with character. Now the great challenge we have in our Western church today is we are more given to gift than we are to character. And that's one of the great battles that we've got to fight if we're going to see the world change. Because we live in a world where people are looking for superstars, you know, are looking for idols, are looking for people and out there in that kind of way in every sphere of society. And in the church we must make sure that even why great giftings released in our midst and people do get attracted to the gifting understand that, that we don't lose the very heart of family and the very heart of character and the very heart of what God's really about. And so you read these things. Paul carried those areas with him. And in 3 John, uh, the elder there, I like this because um, in the new, a few translations it translates that, the elderly elder. John. You know, that's a, I think that's a wonderful confirmation of life, isn't it? Being an elderly elder means there were some elders that weren't so elderly, but he was an elderly elder. It's like I often think in the Old Testament when it talks about, you know, Abraham or something and other ones, it says when they were old and advanced in years. I often wonder what's the difference in being old and advanced in years, but one day I'll find that out. Um, I guess... <laughs> If not now, later on. But Paul, but John would write to Gaius, just say, for instance, a, a wonderful friend and a spiritual son to him. He'd write, Dear friend, I pray, and dear son, you could say, I pray that you may enjoy good health, you may uh, be healthy and prosper in all things, even as your very soul prospers, because it gives me great joy when some believers come and testify about your faithfulness to the truth, telling me how you continue to walk in it. In fact, in some translations it says this, that John said, I have no greater joy than this. And I've often thought about that. Here's this wonderful father figure of John. He learned all of his fatherhood understanding by being personally fathered by Jesus. As Jesus traveled from being a child to being a son and then to father his sons. And it was a, it's a most remarkable story really because John was the one that, you know, at the Last Supper had his head on Jesus' chest. He was very close to him. He loved him. When Jesus was talking about being betrayed, it was really only John who knew who it was. He didn't share it out into the wider group. There was something very special about that positioning John had. So if anyone knew Jesus' heart, John knew it. If ever you wonder whether God ever really wants to bless you, 
and bring you into that place of blessing, you just want to remember John. He's the one who knew Jesus' heart more than anything else, and he knew what Jesus' heart as a dad was for him. And yeah, we're talking about John and just relating to Gaius, and John really knowing the heart of Jesus and really knowing it so deep. So when he passed on to a man like Gaius, I want you to be healed and healthy and prosper in all things, even as your soul, even as your mind, your will and your emotions prosper. Even as you live in that way, I know I want that for you. How did he know that was the right thing to want for him? Because being fathered by Jesus and walking with him and living close with him, he knew what his heart was, that father's heart for those that he lived with and loved and those that would follow on. You see, Jesus, uh, Jesus learnt them from his spiritual father and Jesus being our great shepherd or elder, Jesus modelled it for John. John would have been one of those, I'm sure, that Paul sought out after some of these things because Paul didn't have the opportunity of walking with Jesus in quite the, in the same way, obviously an opposite way in some ways, but didn't have that way to walk with Jesus. So I'm sure when he went back to Jerusalem to get his doctrine checked sometimes, he was going back up there to say, listen, you guys, you were fathered personally by Jesus. You knew not just his words, but what his very heart was all about. I want to check to make sure I'm not missing it here. I want to make sure that I didn't have that privilege, but I did get taken up with him for a while. But I just want to, I want to know that I'm reflecting his heart. Because in the end, the world out there today wants to be touched by a church that reflects the heart, not just brings knowledge. Because if it doesn't touch the heart and reflect the heart of the one that we're representing, then we'll end up down all kinds of paths we really don't need to be. So fatherhood became the very foundation of the church. And in the day in which we're living today, there's a cry in the earth we know for fathers. And I spend a lot of time talking with fathers and sons and that kind of thing. But one of the things I always say working with spiritual sons is this. The great need on the world is really not fathers. The great need in the world, the Bible says, is the whole earth is crying out for the manifestation of the sons. But you can't get sons without fathers. So when you're fathering people or you're encouraging people, you're eldering people, you're shepherding people, you're discipling people, you're raising up people, you know the wonderful thing about it is you're forever one of them. Like when I meet with spiritual sons, I always realize they may position me as that in their life for the journey, but when we meet, we're all sons to the father. Because the need on the earth is a generation of sons that know God as their father. A living, knowing whose they are so they can find out who they are. And then from that, knowing to whom they're joined and living this life out to the full. I often say when I teach from the beginning of all these years, I would say there's only three questions any Christian needs to really ask themselves. Whose am I? Who am I? And to whom am I joined? Many believers out there that know even coming to understand the Father heart of God a little, begin to know whose they are, trying hard to find out who they are, but still because of hurts and things in the past and things they've traveled or where things have been misrepresented, battle to really find that place that they can call home and to know spiritual fathers and brothers and then their life they can align with and walk this walk. 
but I know that's the testimony that God's wanting to restore on the earth. You see, the wonderful thing about the Father heart of God in those situations is that we can meet that cry that is intensifying. Yeah, we live in an orphan world, don't we? And people tell us this Z or Z generation in America where I live, this Z generation that's coming up now is going to be the most isolated, separated generation ever to live in one-to-one relationships. Sad stories you hear all the time. They'll be communicating without even knowing people they're communicating with like we know now. And that will be, they'll say, you know, you hear people say, I have so many friends on such and such or something. But the basis for friendship is just contact. It's not true heart-to-heart relationship. And so we've got a young generation in America, in Britain it's even worse, but around the world that is so isolated now, so alone, so individually, uh, individualistic in their approach and situation of life. If we do not see church become the very answer in this very place that we're living, we're going to end up, sadly, becoming a charismatic version of the problem rather than becoming the answer. Because I can understand and experience and celebrate every kind of church model and life that's out there. But I understand also to know that we could give ourselves and build teaching centers. We can build entertainment centers. We can build motivational centers. We can build miracle centers. We can build blessing centers. But if family's not at the heart of it, it can never be church. Because biblically, church is a father with kids. And parents raising family and the multiplication of family. That's the way God intended it to be at the beginning. That's the way God created it. The heavens declared it that way. When God created Adam, he made a son in his image in that way. Then God gave him Eve. You know the story. You travel all the way through that journey. You find the call of God just calling people back to that relationship. Malachi ends with God turning the hearts of the fathers to the sons or the sons to the father. Otherwise, there could be a curse on the, on the earth. We understand these basic things. There's reference you can pick up in the Testament. There's a, a thought that was going to be a, 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 a ten-generation gap on the earth without fatherhood really being there in that sense. If we take that 40 years of biblical generation, the Bible says in that dark 40, 400 years period from the end of Malachi to the beginning of the Gospels, that's about 10 biblical generations, there was almost no understanding of where the world and Christianity because of the lack of fatherhood or, or, or truth, religious truth, ever met. I've got a friend who walks with me who's a professor, a bit younger than me, but he's a professor, and he studied and brought a word to us one time at a cluster time, but he studied very much the 400-year gap and proven now out there that in that 400-year gap, when there was no longer that heart, anything of religion and culture never met. If you study all the way through the writings of the day, secular writings, or a little bit of religious writings that's able to be found, in that time there was no meeting of the two. Religion got totally separated from culture. Wouldn't it be tragic today in our great day of opportunity that the gap between us and the world just got bigger and bigger? 
No impact at all. And then unto us a child was born. Unto us a son was given. And his name would be Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, etc. And then that wonderful declaration that Isaiah said, Everlasting Father. The scripture that changed my life, and I guess cotton all those years ago, was when I saw for the first time in my life that Isaiah seeing Jesus coming hundreds of years ahead, he saw him as an everlasting father, not as an everlasting son. That shifted me forever. Because then I could understand what it was about. Then I went into the gospel. I know I'm preaching what most of you heard me preach a hundred times, or some of you at least. But when I went to the gospel and then read John 17, my heart just, one night, I mean, it just changed forever. Because in John chapter 17, when Jesus said, glorify me now back with yourself where I was before all this began. I finished the work you've given me to do. Scripture, the shift of my life forever. Because if someone had have come up to me before that and said to me, why did Jesus come? I would have said to die on the cross, set people free from sin, free the world and take us to heaven. And then I read John 17 when Jesus said, glorify me now back with yourself where I was before this began because I've completed the work you've given me to do. And he hasn't been to the cross yet. And I had to ask this question, Jesus, what was the work you had to complete before you could go to the cross? That changed me. You see, if it was me back then, not now I trust, but if I had been giving account to the Father of three years of ministry, I probably would have just said something like this. Father, I, we raised the dead. We had 5,000 people fed at one of our meetings supernaturally and 4,000 another time or whatever. Multitudes came out to what we were about. They flocked out to us. It was wonderful, Father. Some nights, every single person that was sick just got healed. It was incredible. And, G- and Father, I can testify that anyone that ever came to me during those three, heal- three years got healed. Anyone who cried out. I'm sure emotionally we would have given a great outpouring and a, a, a link out to Father of what we had done. But here's Jesus saying, I've completed the work you've given me to do. And then he tells the Father what he's completed and he simply said this the men you gave me out of the world they're ready miracles upon miracles incredible things and all he gave a report on was the sons he had fathered and somehow we get locked into everything else but we measure success by everything else but So we have a generation today that's waiting and I love being around prophets. They stir me up. I love being anytime I'm in a room with Julian. I love to prophesy over people. I love to minister to people. But I want to just say this to you today. When Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, he wasn't waiting to hear the Father say, this is my beloved apostle or this is my beloved prophet. He was just waiting for one thing. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now go and apostle, now go and prophesy, now go and evangelize. You see, whenever your identity comes in your gift or purpose or function and not in 
your sonship, you end up with blessing, but not the inheritance. Many Christians today want the blessing of the house, but not the inheritance of the house. So you could be out, a man could have a business, his son could be out in Hawaii today, playing his ukulele with his hair down to his waist and his feet in the pool, having a wonderful time, sipping a margarita or something, and dad dies, and all his employees get the blessing, and the son gets the inheritance. See, the wonderful thing about eldership and fatherhood and everything that goes with it in a setting like we're in today and what we're talking about today is to see a house of God where people can not only get blessed but can get inheritance, can tap into what sonship is really all about and to find that place, that safe house to live. See, church should never be a place where you're scared to be you. Church should be a place where you're known for your worst and love just the same. It should be a place where you're accepted. It should be a place where you'll be corrected and bishoped and shepherded. Of course, that's all of us being discipled, fathered and growing. But it should be a place where our identity is not locked into anything else but our sonship. And as we live as a generation of sons, we're going to bridge this gap to an orphan world out there. And God will give us the freedom to father them and bring them home. I was on a plane one time getting out of Chicago, uh, getting out of Dallas to fly to London via Chicago. Snowstorms were hitting Chicago and Marilyn was in, um, I'd been meeting at an apostolic gathering in, in Dallas and, and Marilyn was still in Richmond and we're going to meet in Chicago and go on to England together. Flights were going to need to get changed, storms were coming, all kinds of things and I won't go into that quite the same as I did in the last meeting. But in that whole setting, eventually Marilyn got her flight changed, I got mine, we're on different planes and we eventually got to Chicago just in time to meet and get a connection before the snowstorm shut down the airport. But I got on my plane out of Dallas, a different flight to what I was going to be on and I was sitting there and we're about to take, other flights were getting cancelled into DC and other places and I'm just sitting there waiting, trusting this plane is going to get off and get in ahead of the storm. And a woman comes on right at the end, walks right past me, sits by the window. It's just three seats. And she sits there. And uh, I think I said to her, actually then, you, boy, you only just made this. Was you on one of the cancelled ones? She said, yeah, I was trying to get to D.C. And um, I li live up that way. And um, um, my flight was cancelled. They were trying to get me through Chicago to get in. But little hope tonight. Then she, just, she was a dressed businesswoman. And uh, she just put her things on her eyes to make it dark and put her head down was asleep in seconds it seemed. We took off and we're flying and I thought about it just a couple of times but I'm just highly involved in my crossword puzzle or something and um, just flying in. 20 minutes before we landed she took her glass off, looked up and looked over at me and said I know you and I thought she was talking to the person on the other side of the aisle so I looked and saw the lean back so they could talk. She said no you and I said well I'm sorry I, I mean I don't recognize you. She said, where do you come from? And I said, well, I said, where are you from? She said, I'm up from Northern Virginia, up there. Uh, and uh, I said, oh, I live down in Richmond, Virginia. She said, oh, I used to live in Richmond. And I said, where about? She said, where do you live? I said, out the West End. She said, I lived in the West End. I said, she said, what street did you live? I said, this street. She said, I live right around the corner from you. 
But I don't know where I saw you, and I, cannot rem and I said, I don't remember seeing you. Maybe it was just in the supermarket or somewhere. We went on, and I said, well, you know, did you always live in Richmond? She said, no, I lived down Virginia Beach for a while. And uh, then the story began to unfold. So I had a daughter down in the Virginia Beach. She was very involved down there in life, and much with, because it's a naval place and a military center, you know, the, uh, the Navy SEALs base out of there, and top guns fly out of there, and that kind of thing. And then I realized, talking to her, her husband was in the service. So I said, um, so was your husband in the service? And she said, yes. And I said, why did you move? She said, well, I lost my husband. And I said, oh, that's uh, you know, very sad. Was it in Afghanistan or um, somewhere in Iraq? And she said, as a result of. And as she said that, I just knew in my heart that he'd come back and his life ended. I don't think one needs to enlarge on that. So I got talking to her about that and the tragedy. She had two small children. And she said, uh, it's very hard for me to process it. And I said, well, was God in, in this in any way? Did, did you know God at all? Have you had any experiences that way? She said, yeah, I, I, I was a believer. And um, she said, but this really stretched me so far. She said, um, my kids were being home educated. I was in the home church, uh, in the home um, schooling network. And I just couldn't take the pressure of life, so I put my kids into, back into public school. And basically, that was the end of those relationships. They all felt I'd uh, given the kids back to the devil or whatever, and, and they cut me off. <laughs> I'm sitting there thinking, how sad that people cut you off in the moment of your greatest need. You know, we're supposed to love you more now, in a sense, you know. And, yeah, she told me the story, and I realized it always takes two sides of a story to get the whole story. But we were flying just these last few minutes, and then I said, it must have been tough on your kids. She said, yeah, yeah, very tough. We're still all processing. It's seven years now. And I looked at her, and I, I said, oh, you know, God's place in it. And she looked at me and said, I've just, I, I can't get through. She said, they've just flown me. The government's just flown me. It's a Memorial Day in Dallas. I've just been down there to lecture and to speak to people that have lost relatives through the war. But she said, I can't get to grips with it. She said, I don't know why God took him. I just can't get through it. Why did God take him? And I thought, Lord, I've got three minutes. And as we began coming in, I just looked at her and said, do you mind if I just share my heart with you? She said, no. I said, what if God didn't take him? The devil comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. And what if a broken-hearted father is crying with you and me right now because he's as broken-hearted over this as you are? And she looks, she's tears coming down her eyes. She said, you're the first Christian since this has ever made sense to me. And we began just to talk. She said, what are you doing now? I said, well, part of what we do, we rescue kids from around the world and take care of orphans and that kind of thing. She said, you know, I've got Navy SEALs now. I run an organization. We go to get back kids in sex slave business and that. She said, if you ever need some heavyweights to go and get some kids for you, rescue some. I said, no, I'm not quite at that league, you know. I'm fine. We still go love them and bring them in one by one. But I looked at her and she looked at me and said, you know, 
I wasn't meant to be on this flight. And I said, nor was I. But I thought, this sad, orphan heart that's out there and the church not able to bridge the gap in any way at all because something happens. Why did God do that? Why did God do this? As if God is just this person wandering around the world trying to ruin everybody's life rather than that deep truth that's much more, it's different to that. But we haven't portrayed a father's heart of God. We blame him for everything. We get isolated because of it. And yet the truth is we have a broken-hearted father that walks with us through a sin-sick world. Sometimes steps in and does the incredible miracle. Sometimes doesn't. I don't understand all those answers. But what I do understand, that if we as a church do not bridge the gap to this orphan world, the gulf is going to get bigger and bigger. And if church only becomes something that people can come to and go home as lonely as they were when they arrived, and it only becomes a meet, meeting or a steeple or a place, and people in their independence, loneliness, and broken hearts go out home and have lunch, they will not touch the very heart of what it's all about. And they will buy books, they'll wrestle, they'll go to conferences, they will go through everything they can trying to find out who they are when deep down they've never got to grips with whose they are. You can't answer the big questions of life until you know whose you are and get close to him with your head on his chest sometimes. You see, Jesus was an amazing father. But he would stand at times and outpour his heart to thousands of people. And I love this part of it because as he poured his heart out to thousands of people they would go home from the meeting and some would just go home from the meeting I'm sure and have roast pasta for lunch you know dissecting the meeting and carving it very nicely and they might even talk about it and say what a great, this is a great church what a great meeting we had this morning you know we, first time for years we've seen people with no legs get brand new legs and I mean, it was just so exciting. Just loved it. And that visiting speaker we had, what was his name? You know, oh, Jesus from Nazareth. Yeah, he was great, wasn't he? What was that message he brought? You know that story about that guy scattering seed. Man, that was brilliant. We haven't had a teaching like that for ages. Our local guys just need to get more visiting ministry in. I wonder what would have happened if someone had to stop long enough and said, what did he mean? But there was a handful they became his sons. And they went to a little house with him. And they said to him, Jesus, why do you teach him in parables? What was you really on about there? And the Bible says, Jesus said, I teach them in parables, so while making my... So almost, he said, so they don't really get it. But he said, unto you, unto you, I don't speak in parables because unto you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. See, every believer is going to have a big choice in these days we live. Do you want the blessing? Do you want the parable? Or do you want to know what he really means?
You're going to become an inquirer or an attendee? Are you going to become a son or just a member? Are you going to become a son in the house that can buy in and enjoy the inheritance of it? Or you're one that stands at a distance because of past experiences or relationships or connections or whatever and end up getting blessed. Father will love you. He'll welcome you into heaven. But you may well go to your grave with your music still in you. I was in Kenya one time in Nairobi, went straight from the airport to meet with a group of leaders of the Catholic retreat center there. As I went in, they asked me straight away, what do you think of Kenya? Well, I thought, I've only been here 30, you know, 30 minutes and all I've seen is potholes. <laughs> Getting from the airport to this meeting, really, and dodging them. But I just looked at them and said, I want to tell you this. I know the wealthiest place in Kenya. That I know already. They said, oh, how do you know that? You haven't been here that long. I said, no, I know exactly the wealthiest place in Kenya. And they said, what is that? How do you really know it? And I said, very simply, really, because it's the same in every city of the world. It's called the graveyard. It's a place where the unfulfilled dreams are buried. It's a place where the songs that should have been sung were never sung. It's a place where the greatest operas ever written could have been written were never written. The greatest novels, the greatest books, the greatest plays, the greatest companies, the greatest inventions, the greatest everything. Because people went to their grave with their music still in them. Yeah, I have a desire in my heart. As I said in elders and see churches come into the next levels of their stage and growth and that, I just have a, such a desire in my heart to see safe houses built that the hurting and the wounded can find home and hope in. People don't have to come in with an orphan spirit and go home with that same orphan spirit. They don't just go home with a message and a miracle. But they want to tarry around a little bit, touch some heart. What is it that really makes this place thump? How do I touch Father? How do I really become and know whose I am? You know, I was raised in a good family, as many of you know my story. But I tell you, when I had cancer when I was 18 and 19, and God lifted me out, and that became the transformation period of my life, in a sense, as I was dating Marilyn and walking through that period of time. It was very early in that time that I began to understand the Father heart of God. And I had to settle it early. And I wasn't going to even mention that here today, but I just believe in my heart, as we were talking before, there's people even here on the Sunday morning, some of you that may even come regularly, some who sit under a lot of ministry, or maybe someone who's just come in today, maybe someone who's visiting because of, you know, what we've witnessed today and these precious people getting set in. I want to tell you, don't let your yesterday spoil your tomorrows. I sit with kids, many kids, broken kids, raped kids, abused kids. Over my years, I've sat with them. They look at me and say, Tony, I'm 18 years old. You don't know what happened to me when I was four and five or whatever. And I look at them and say, no, and I don't even want to, really. This is good for you. But, but I want to tell you this. 
I don't know your yesterdays, but I can help you know your tomorrows. And I want to look you in the eyes and say this. If the devil has stolen the last 12, 13 years off your life, don't give him another day. He's not worth it. It's not worth it. Come home. Come to Father's heart. Experience something that can reshape. And maybe we will together see churches raised up that really do become an oasis of hurt and an oasis of love in a hurting world, not an oasis of hurt in a loving world. Maybe become places where people are free to fly. We encourage them. May we raise up a generation to go further than us. May we see the potential and release it. May we encourage people to fly with the eagles, not walk with turkeys. <laughs> May we encourage them to soar. I'm very thankful to God. I was at the end of my ministry life a couple of times in early days, but once I had, had a curse put over our life, we arrived in England from a terrible situation in Australia. And I remember I went, this man of God knew the whole story, and I won't go into that, but I went there, and as I was just there, he said, tell me the story. I told him the whole story. And for the first time, I had someone in my life that stood with me. He just wrapped his arms around me and held me. And I think I've said at the conference, and I say it many times, I've seen more people healed through a hug than 20-minute sermons. Because sometimes all... Someone needs to know is there somebody there that cares, really cares, and that we can be that as churches. I believe God's going to lead us to have thousands upon thousands of people. You're going to go through the greatest multiplication time in a church like this than you've ever known. But you never have to compromise your values and heart to get people on seats because the very thing you carry most is what most are crying out for. And I'll come home to Dad. Amen? And you'll be the conduit. doesn't matter whether you're one of the elders, you're one of the gift ministries, whether you're just, uh, you know, just a, a, a person who's got attached in or family, you become a carrier of that kingdom. And I'll just finish by saying this to you today. I've known over my life is this, and I said to the leaders the other night, I said this to them. I said, you know you've crossed over into the gospel of the kingdom. When you get up in the morning, you go to your place of employment, you go to your college, you go to your campus, you go to your sports arena, you go to wherever you are. And before you go, you can look yourself in the mirror and say, I'm thankful I'm living today with you because that's a major breakthrough. I'm glad I'm living my day with you. But you walk into that place and you know in your heart, for God so loved this company, he gave it me. And you stop from being an orphan to being a seed of the kingdom because the Bible says in Matthew, the seed of the kingdom are the sons of the kingdom. And God sows the son. All ego goes at that point. Many years ago for me, but I, you have moments of ego still, but basically the ego question is settled because you know the only goal you've got left in your life is to become seed in the great sower's hands. And at that time, you become a part of the harvest like you have never known. So, Father, I pray this morning for this wonderful church, these wonderful people. I pray for those that are here, Lord, that a specific seed went into their heart today. 
because they realize they're still not trusting yet or not willing to have people in their lives at that kind of level or whatever. But Father, I pray for this church today. I pray for its eldership. I, I pray for its leaders. I'm so thankful here, God, for its history, its foundations. And Father, I pray today for a Father's blessing upon every life in this room. We know we can't get too much of a Father's blessing, but even in a room like this, there's some here today that are aching inside. They felt devalued or they felt manipulated or controlled and they've had a, got somehow just a bit out of sync. And Father, I pray they would just experience and touch that Father heart again. Here today, over these weeks, tonight, when we have much more ministry in areas, Father, but whatever. Father, there'd be just a sense of something here that you saw when everyone else could just see sugarcane. A man saw something else in that sugarcane. And this Harvest Church, in this area at least, was born. Father, I pray that the true harvest of Harvest Church will only know increase. And this greatest moment, I pray. But Father, I pray for those that just sitting here today just sense that your Holy Spirit's just touching that orphan heart within them. They may not have been born an orphan, but they just have such difficulty believing a loving Father would just do good things for them freely. They stand just on the edge that little bit. Father, I just pray wherever they might be around this building today, I pray that your spirit would just touch them. Your Father's heart would enrich them. And Lord, they would be free to be them. And I declare that freedom over their life today. In Jesus' name.